traditional style? No. Or ch- oh, you, you want to go chunky, huh? It's Big Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ike Uncle Buck. <laughs> Roasting myself. How you doing? Oh, you're, t- you're Tom. How I'm you doing, Tom. Tom? It's cool. I'm Tom. Everything's cool, man. Uh, really? All right. All right, man. Yes, yeah, stir, stir in the salsa. Extra, yeah. extra, tro- extra chunky, extra hot. Man. How are you doing, man? What's going on? Things are okay, man. Things are okay. Um, devoting myself to wildlife, to the to the to the, the, the great the great outdoors lately. I uh, there's been some feral cats peeing all over the the back patio. Yes, it's, it's like, kind of rude. It's uh yeah they're they're feral. They're not yeah. the little indoor guys. You put little collars and bells on them, and they're cute. The outdoor guys, they smell, they roll around in the dirt. They, you know, you gotta, uh, it's a little, but I, I built a little shelter for them. Got a little plywood together. We got these little self, self-heating thermal cat beds. We got into it, man. These little guys, they knocked down a bunch of woods in the neighborhood. The backyard's like Bambi. You got raccoons running around. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's nice. It's beautiful. Miku from Pocahontas. Yeah, I, but the, I got these cats. You know what I mean? I got I got two cats coming around every day. Sometimes they bring friends. Nobody's neutered or spayed. Yeah. So you're so, just watching these disgusting animals just go. They're they're you're- flirtatious with one another. Right. All right. Allegedly. So I um I called around. I got a little public service address. We do. You know. We kind of um uh we generate from uh, Long Island, New York, from the town of Huntington, out worldwide with this. People listen from all over. Maybe your town has a similar program. You can find out. I found out. The town of Huntington actually has a program. If you're a Huntington resident, you can get up to five cats spayed or neutered, rabies shot, and they, you know, they clip the ear so people know that the wild cat's been tended to and someone's taking care of it. Huh. If it's a feral cat and you're going to release it back into the wild, they'll do that for free for up to five cats a year. The town of Huntington out here, yeah. So I called around. I was calling around. They wanted this other place. They wanted 50 bucks. This other place wanted 60 bucks. I said, look, I got four cats coming in the yard. Trying to do the right thing. One of these veterinarians is driving a Porsche out there. They can hook me up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the town of Huntington had a program. I got to catch these little guys. So I got the one guy. I call him Rufus. He appeared on the roof. Okay. Yeah. Appropriate. Okay. He's been coming around every day. I, I made arrangements with the nice lady. Shout out to Michelle at the cat shelter over there at Huntington. I, I, I made arrangements to capture this guy, take him in, get him neutered, get him his shots and everything like you're supposed to. He, the one day of the week he doesn't show up. That was the day. Somebody told. Somebody tipped him off. I don't know who it was. Damn. It might have been Justin. Justin. Probably Justin. Justin likes to let things go wild. I don't know. Maybe sent that cat an email over, yeah. over 5G. Yeah. It's got time to send the cat an email. Yeah. What, what, what's up, Justin? No, but that, that was. But that's been my time lately. I've been, I've, been, I've been dipping into the cats a little bit. I go out there. I tell them about mutant metal. I'm talking about gore grind with the cat. He doesn't know what I'm talking about, but it's fine. It's, uh, you know, it's like the... Um the rubber duck. You talk yeah. to a little rubber duck and just talk things out. Sometimes you don't need someone to hear you out. You just need to pretend that you're talking to someone. I should have had the bathroom door closed when I used to talk to my rubber duck in my old relationship. That was a big problem. But enough about me. <laughs> and my, enough about me. Oh, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, not much to report as I'm still in recovery, but I'm watching movies. And I, I got, I'm a little taken aback by one that I can't believe I've just watched for the first time. Cats, the live-action Cats? Yes, Cats, the live-action Cats, <laughs> starring uh, Madame Judy Dench as oh. a cat. What did it? What an insane ooh, world we live in, where ooh, someone was ooh, like, ooh, "Let's ooh. put money into this." That that would that happened. They made that. 
Just but but you didn't watch that. I'm being facetious. No, no. But what whatever happened to makeup and stuff like that? Just throw some makeup on them. They're cats. It's fine. Anyway, I digress. Uh, a film that I have, I'm sure many of you have seen, and if not, I recommend so much. Dirty Harry. Oh yeah. What a what a character. Yeah, it's a uh, it's about the justice system. Yeah, yeah. Like heavy commentary about the. The bureaucracy, and I like how he's dirty Harry because he's willing to do that dirty stuff no one wants to do. Yeah, about, like, rolls up his sleeves. Yeah, gets in there. Uh, yeah. I honestly, you know, Clint Eastwood had a record of doing westerns. I thought it was a western, and then I just selected it. It's okay. kind of a western. It's just a, it's just like you know, it's still it's the modern modern western. For yeah. yeah, exactly. It does play out like a western, but either yeah. way, um, the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And the scoring of that movie is another thing that's worth noting, especially since it's a movie, I mean, a, a music-based podcast. Drums. Just drums, for the most part. Yeah. Sick break yeah. beats and tension-building drums. Wow. Anyway, that's a great film. So if you haven't seen that one, uh, watch Dirty Harry get it done. Yeah. Because no one else will. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I saw that years ago. They used to play all those Clint Eastwood movies on TV a lot when, my, when I was younger. My dad would watch them. Um, interesting, interesting uh, guy, man, Clint yeah. Eastwood, man. Yeah, he's, very, 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 he kind of became like this eccentric kind of old curmudgeon type of guy. Yeah, I kind of like people like that, to be honest with you. I think that yeah. uh, he just well, does, so did my dad, so. Yeah, well, yeah, and your dad have something in common. <laughs> but listen, somebody who may have become eccentric, but definitely not a curmudgeon, still a creative uh, power powerhouse, Blur, and also, you know, I, I got to say also, while I spin the segue around, I mentioned before that we locate out, we, we're, we broadcast or record here on Long Island, New York, but we're all over the place. Someone else who started out in Long Island, New York, but is now elsewhere, Brett Claren, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist of Journey Into Darkness. Perhaps you know him better for his work in the bands Sorrow and uh, the, the first uh, uh, incarnation of Sorrow, Apparition, based out of Long Island, New York. We're going to get down and dirty with him and talk about all of it. Let's broadcast live right yeah. now. Take a journey into that darkness. Darkness of darkness as This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with tonight's guest, Brett Claren, multi-instrumentalist uh, known for his work with Journey Into Darkness, Sorrow, and Apparition. Is that correct, sir? Yep, that is correct. Thank you for your time. Welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. And, um, you know, just like we were saying kind of behind the scenes and as, as the listeners know, we want to talk about Journey into Darkness, which um, you are you are the sole member of. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that um, that's your but, most. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, but uh, I, I do have to say that I do the instruments on it, but I also do a lot of the programming on it. So uh, things like the drums are not 100 percent live. So there's like a mixture and whatnot. So oh, uh, yeah. I don't want everyone thinking that I yeah did all the drums, you know, live. I didn't. <laughs> of course, I'm not fighting anything. Of but, course, uh, man. Yeah, I, I did everything else. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. No one. No one thinks you're trying to pull a fast on men. But um, of course, we'll, and we'll we'll get into that. Um, and also a uh, member of uh, kind of legacy old school Long Island uh, death doom band Sorrow, uh, who originally started out under the name Apparition. Um, but, as I said, so before we get into all that sort of thing, uh, where I normally go, you, you're originally from Plainview, Long Island, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I got that because uh, uh, Fingers actually interviewed you guys on WBAB <laughs> back in '91, and it's on YouTube. Oh, that's is it really? That's funny. Oh, I have to look that up. I didn't even know it was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jeez, I was. Uh, I was. Uh, I was already five years out of high school. I'm an old man. <laughs> yeah, for the for the listeners who aren't from Long Island, or even some of the younger Long Island listeners, which is scary to me, Fingers is uh, the classic Long Island hard rock and heavy metal DJ who also does a lot of um, like promotion for live concerts and and uh, uh, stuff. Probably to this day, I'd imagine he's still in the game. Um, and WBAB is the local hard rock heavy metal radio station here on Long Island. So just yeah, that uh, you know something I'm I'm having like flashbacks. I actually remember us doing that interview with him. It was right after we got signed to Roadrunner, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there was it's it's funny. Man. People can go back and listen. I, I want to get into that, but but that's how I know you're from Plainview, which is kind of more on the eastern uh, part of Nassau County, Long Island. So a little bit towards the middle of Long Island, New York, for for people who yeah. aren't from the area. Um, the typical question, are you from a, a musical family, musicians in your family, or people who steered you towards hard rock and heavy metal? Uh, the short answer is no. I have no one, <coughs> no one in my family that was really um, was a musician at all. I mean, I had older brothers that were into music. Uh, my oldest brother was heavily into music, and you know stuff like uh, the Beatles, Jethro Tull, Rush. Uh, Ted Nugent, Harrowsmith, so uh, that definitely got me going into that direction when I was uh, a tween, or you know, in my when I was like ten years old, nine years old, starting to listen to some of that, that stuff because they were they were teenagers at the time. So that was my introduction to, I guess, hard rock. Okay, and where do where does the idea of playing a musical instrument come in, and is it guitar at first? Yeah, it was definitely guitar at first, and I kind of remember I was probably about 12 years old, I guess, or 11 maybe, it was, I think around 6th grade or something, and uh, I, I tried to grow my hair long <laughs> when I was a kid, and like a lot of people thought I was a girl, because you know, when you're 10 or 11 and your hair's long, it, you definitely look like a girl, but um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was through listening to music, like my older brother's listening to music, and, and, and uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, Ted Nugent was like my hero back then and uh i just love the early ted Nugent stuff when he used to play with the amboy dukes um tooth fang and claw and uh call of the wild and those just got me motivated to pick up a guitar and so th i started playing guitar in sixth grade but uh it was on and off i didn't really get serious with guitar until the end of high school but uh i did actually have piano lessons now that i'm j jogging through the brain uh when i was like seven or eight years old i took a year's worth of piano which doesn't seem like much, but at that young age, it did embed in me some of the theory and, you know, understanding of, of timing and measures and some of the basics of theory was kind of embedded in my brain because of those early piano lessons. Okay. All right. So what, and what is, uh, do you remember your first guitar, like, like model where you got it, that sort of thing? No, nah, it was, it was definitely a piece of crap, you know, and it's funny too, because I know I have a picture somewhere 
buried in a box of photos of me holding that guitar. It was probably like a, a $50 guitar where like the strings were like an inch off the fretboard and huh. you had to press with like a, a plier to get the string down. So that probably had something to do with me being discouraged also after, you know, a short period of time because the guitar was so crappy probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's that, I, I don't remember what model. It was definitely a, a piece of crap, though. Okay, so now in the late 80s and early 90s, Long Island, like a lot of places, had um, a, a, a swelling extreme metal scene. Uh, thrash metal was starting to be more extreme and people were t- kind of uh, taking it and, and making death metal out of it and things like that. Yeah. Um, take us through through that. I mean, are you playing guitar for a few years and then you kind of catch on to that? Or, you know, like like we know Apparition is the beginning of the band Sorrow. Yeah. Were there other bands predating Apparition? Yeah, sort of, yeah. So I'll give you a brief one on this. Um in in high school, uh, when I was in 12th grade, and Mike, the drummer, was in 11th grade, and uh, I don't remember, we were talking, and I was really big into hardcore before then. Like, I was into, like, Minor Threat, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, um, you know, a lot of stuff from D.C. and um, some New York hardcore. And uh, I found Slayer, and I found Hello Waits, and it blew me away, and it changed my life. I mean, after I heard Hello Waits, I, I just literally changed, it changed me. And... Uh, so we were in, in school and we were talking and somehow Slayer came up and I was like, holy shit, you like Slayer? And he's like, yeah. And we, we just bonded over Slayer big time. And uh, we just became friends with that. And that's sort of like, you know, all, all those early thrash bands. And those bands were like, those were almost considered death metal at the time. Bands like Early Creator, um, even Possessed. Uh, destruction yeah. because there really was no death metal although you know i guess morbid angel and death were just kind of getting started uh so we, we we kind of bonded over all that music and then when we were when i was in 12th grade getting ready to graduate we just kind of said hey why don't we start a band and mike i believe played like the tuber or he played some some brass instruments in high school but then he was also bought like a drum set so he's like yeah i'm gonna play drums and then i was like all right i'll play guitar definitely and so we started practicing uh, when I graduated, which was in 87. We actually set up a band called Cyanic Death. And we just rehearsed in his basement with a, with a cassette player. And I actually actually have a recording of that early, early stuff from 1987. It's horrible. Huh. Uh, and then his friend Mike Morakovich uh, played bass. And so that's kind of how we all started. Um, and then um, Mike... Barakovich, a bass player, kind of dropped out of it, and me and Mike Heimson continued to play, and then we met the bass player, Rich Figlier, and um, Ron Hernandez, Rob, uh, the singer, uh, through Andy. I'm sorry, it's like, this is so long ago, it's kind of a blur, and I'm talking a lot here. But uh, no. so we all kind of knew each other, because Andy, the singer, was also from, from Plainview, and he was in Mike's grade, but those two really weren't friendly. Mike, uh, Andy ran with a different crowd, but he came down with Rich, who was from Hicksville, uh, and Rob Hernandez, who was also, uh, I forgot, he was from like Massapequa. So it was kind of like they were all friends with each other, and then they came down, and we just, you know, we started Apparition at that point, and it was a, it was really a thrash band, although me and Mike always liked heavier music, we did, you know, we were playing thrash at first. 
So okay. I'll let you interject if you have a question there. Yeah, no, yeah. no, yeah, and, and that's <laughs> that's great because we're, we're kind of going right along the timeline here. And, for, you know, for people like me who are collectors of the music and, and um, want to know the history of it, especially from Long Island, this is interesting. Uh, talking about Hicksville and Massapequa, man. The people from out of Long Island don't know what's going on right now. But um, uh, so Apparition... Now, we know Apparition puts out the demo in uh, 88, so that was like right after high school, um, yeah, then yeah. Eight, 89, the Human Fear demo, and then I guess you guys actually hooked up with Relapse Records at that point? Yeah, so the story here, again, I'm sorry if I'm getting too wordy here, but okay, so we did that first demo, which was the Thrash demo, and me and Mike were just like, you know, this is when like Immolation demo was coming out, um, this is pre-suffocation though. And uh, it was kind of, we were just listening to some of the other bands that were heavy, you know, Death and Morbid Angel, and we're like, you know, damn, we want to be heavy. We want to be death metal, not thrash metal. So um, we had a talk with the singer, and we said, listen, Rob, you know, do you want to do death metal vocals? He said no. So we said, well, then unfortunately, you were going to have to part ways. Mm -hmm. it, it was fine. You know, he was cool about it, I guess, probably a little pissed. So anyway, he left the band, and so, um, and uh, Andy reluctantly uh, went along with it and said, yeah, yeah, he, he's cool with playing death metal. He just wanted to kind of keep playing in the band. And we were very stable at the time. We were rehearsing every, you know, three days a week and we never missed. And we took the band really serious. Andy was serious. So he was like, all right, I'll play death metal also. So we dropped basically all our old thrash songs from 88, almost every single song we dropped it. And we just started writing all the new songs. And that human fear demo is the transition into like that death doom sludgy sound that you know we kind of fell into and we were, we were much happier with that sound at least mike and mike and myself were really happy with that so that's sort of what happened in that transition and then when that, that after that came out um we were uh we wanted to shop around for a label and we recorded a four song demo which two songs ended up with relapse now mike used to be friendly with relapse uh uh uh, Jacobs, Jacobson. Yeah, it's, it's Matt Jacobson, I, I think. Matt, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah Matt. Yeah. Matt was kind of. I mean, Mike was sort of friendly with Matt, not buddy buddy, but anyway. So Matt was just like, yeah, definitely, let's let's do a seven inch. And uh, they had two hardcore seven inches that they did beforehand, and we were actually the first death metal seven inch that was on relapse, and we kind of get lost in the shuffle because. We get lost in a lot of the history of stuff. And, um, <laughs> I'm trying to do my part so that here. That was one of those things. Yeah. So anyway, so that's so so he was like, let's you know, he wanted to take two songs out of the four and do a seven inch with it. And we were like, oh, you know, hell yeah, definitely. And uh, but in in our normal fashion, if you look at the seven inch, we wanted it on pitch yellow vinyl, and the back cover. Uh, I'm jumping all over the place here, but if you notice, like the back cover, there's a stick figure that we drew in which says rich on it. I mean, Chris, Chris Richards. So Chris Richards bassist from suffocation actually played in apparition first. This is pre sorrow before we changed the name. So he was actually in both bands, but we, we told him, listen, he, you know, Chris liked playing a lot of the fast stuff and we were playing more slow doomer and he wanted to be in both bands, but we, for some reason, I don't know what the hell we were thinking. We were like, dude, just, just go with suffocation. We know you like that music better. Just go play with them. So he ended up playing with them and we stayed as a three piece without a bassist for a while. Um, so, uh, and then, so we did that seven inch and then there's a whole other story with, uh, 
with how they got signed to Roadrunner. So I'll take a breather and let you interject there. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, Chris Richards. Uh, there was a you know there was a little bit of banter in, in the interview I listened to about that too, and I noticed that he was kind of like the the guy from the crew who was who ended up in some other bands. It also says he did a little time at some point in Pyrexia. Um, yeah, yeah. So and Pyrexia was also around like when you're talking about ninety ninety one, you're talking about suffocation. Pyrexia are also starting to kick up uh, dust in in the scene. And yeah. um, I'm actually I, I'm I'm good friends with Chris Basile of Pyrexia. Um, yeah, who was, uh, the, the bass player at the time. Now the guitar is still in the band. Um, he, he mentioned that he, at one point, I think he went out and jammed with you guys or tried out or something like that. And I'd like, I'd like, just like to hear your recollection. Obviously this is going back like 30 years. We're all grown now. You know what I mean? No one's trying to stir up any kind of, um, nonsense or anything, but just in the interest of, of the, the local scene lore, you know? Sure. You know something? Uh, I honestly, I mean, I definitely remember him coming down, no doubt about it. Um, I, the only thing I could probably think of is that, like, you can just tell with Pyrexia or uh, even Suffo and all that stuff, like, we weren't playing brutal, technical, you know, fast death metal. We were playing doom death metal. And I think when we had people coming down, they sort of really wanted to play the, the you know, the Long Island, what everyone considers the Long Island death metal. Yeah. And we didn't want that. So most likely what happened, because I do vaguely remember him coming down, is, is that the style that he was going to want to play was definitely not like, so, was not the sorrow or apparition style that we that we wanted. So it was kind of like, why would you, don't bother being in our band because you're, you know, this isn't the music you really want to be playing and we don't want to force you to do something that you don't want to be doing or you know, you settle for playing in the band, but you'd actually, you're going to either write music or you'd rather be in another band and you're going to leave anyway. Yeah. Which is sort of what we did with Chris Richards, which was, listen, we know you're going to end up in suffocation anyway, <laughs> so why don't you just, you know, focus on that full time. So I'm pretty sure that's probably what happened with Chris. Okay, okay. so, and fair enough. that makes sense. Well, and fair enough, man. Um, yeah, you know, genre-wise, uh, you guys were definitely doing something a little different. You guys struck me as a little bit more maybe um, in the Florida style, in the Death Morbid Angel style, mixed with kind of of a Black Sabbath influence, um, would that be fair yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, definitely. Yes, yeah, so, and so, well, now if I got it right, because no, because Effigy of the Forgotten. Uh, well, we, you know, because we talk about suffocation, right? Human Waste comes out on Relapse Records. I think that was uh, yeah. may, maybe 1990, 89, uh, or, or, or 90. I'm probably getting the, the, the dates wrong. But, um, yeah. And then Effigy of the Forgotten is 91. Was there some, some maybe, was it some feeling of competition in the scene back then with suffocation? Because you guys were also dealing yeah. with Roadrunner. I think maybe back then it might have been called Road Racer. I'm not sure what, what, the, yeah, what the lineage yeah. is there. But was it a comp- competitive feel or was there more of a networking thing or where you guys were friends with one another? Totally friends. We, we had a great relationship with those guys. We were totally cool. They'd come down to our rehearsals. We'd go down to their rehearsals. It was absolutely zero competition between us. Um, I will say that we, as a band, knew that we just were not hitting it off like suffocation. I mean, when suffocation hit, I mean, they just blew up, blew up fast. And, and listen, they were playing shit that people wanted to hear. It was it was brutal it was in your face it was fast as hell it was technical you know they were doing something that you know a lot of other bands weren't doing or weren't capable of doing they were capable of doing it and uh 
you know, and that's, again, that's not what we were doing. We didn't want to emulate that, but we did as a band, you know, come to the realization that we were not going to be suffocation. Like we were just not going to, we couldn't draw the crowds that they drew. We just didn't have the fanatical fans that they did. Uh, so we, we had a much harder um, time just, you know, playing shows and, and keeping motivated and whatnot. But there was zero competition. We were really happy for those guys as they, as they got big. And it, it was, you know, they deserved it. They, they, they did. So it was, there was nothing between us, you know, bad blood at all. And in fact, that first, uh, the first album, just to give you another quick story here, is um, Suffocation got signed to Roadrunner first. So we were actually before Suffocation. Suffocation, like I said, just blew up so quickly that, you know, they already got signed to Roadrunner, Road Racer, actually, before we did, even though we came before them. And they took Mike, our drummer, down to a Christmas party. And Mike was smart. He brought our demo cassette, put the cassette into the, the player, and Monty Connor, who was the A&R guy over at Road Racer, heard it and said, who the fuck is this? And, you know, Mike was like, hey, it's my band. And he's like, oh, this is amazing. Can I have a demo? And I think that's sort of how it went. So Suffocation brought us to a Road Racer Christmas party, and that's how Road Racer heard of us. And basically the week after they heard the tape, they signed us and said, come down, you know, we want to sign you. So okay. it happened that quickly, and it happened because of Suffocation. Okay, man. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, and, and now this is something I want, this is a question I kind of want to interject before we go forward with the, with the band and the label is this old school, um, this mentality of the era in underground death metal and underground extreme metal that I think today is a little different for some people. Um, this kind of like, like you mentioned, you guys rehearsed three times a, a week. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you had the, the, you, you guys cut Chris Richards loose so he could play in suffocation. Cause there was obviously a genre difference. There was a, you know, what it, it wasn't all about, you know, maybe people filling in here or there. It was kind of like, was it an all or nothing mentality towards like, quote unquote, making it in music, um, with a label as opposed to nowadays where death metal is a very hobbyist thing. Um, and unless you're like really trying to tour like the Black Dahlia Murder or Cannibal Corpse, it's a, kind of like a weekend mm -hmm. thing for people who have day jobs now. Is that something that, that was a lot different in, in like the very metal-friendly climate of the 80s and early 90s? Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah definitely a good observation because yeah, I, I wouldn't say we didn't have, you know, like dreams of grandeur. Like we, we realized, listen, death metal was never going to be. I mean, listen, this is this is before now. So we never thought for a second that anyone was going to be, you know, be able to really make a living off of playing death metal. I mean, you kind of hoped for it, but it, it certainly was more than just a passionate hobby. I mean, it really was our lives. And we did at some point, I guess, in the back of our minds, hope that we could sort of make a living off of it and actually, you know, maybe be a band full time. But we, we, you know, we also realized that probably wasn't going to happen. In fact, Mike and I were continuing our, our school studies. Like, we, you know, we went back to school. Some of the other guys didn't. But, um, we, you know, I went back to make sure that I got a degree and whatnot. Um, and, yes, like now, especially even for myself right now, it's an, it's an important hobby. And it's still part of my life. And we'll get into that later. But back then, it was like we were a unit as the band. And yeah, we kind of wanted to make it together as a unit and become bigger than, you know, bigger than we did become. Uh, and 
it would have been nice to, you know, become even bigger than we would thought could have happened. You know, again, this is before even thinking a band like Suffocation or Immolation 30 years later would be putting out 10, 11 albums. And, and you know, I guess, you know, can survive off the band at this point. Um, I mean, I, I'm not really even sure if they do or not. I, I would guess they do. But uh, so that's the long answer. Uh, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, man. And um, I'm not in anyone's pockets. I'm not talking specifically about immolation yeah, or yeah, cannibal corpse or any of these people. But when I, well, yeah. from what I'm about to say, but um, I just know from the people I do know and who I have gotten to know over the years. Uh, and things I've heard that it's for for any of these bigger metal bands, death metal or otherwise, it's usually a combination of um, really touring and and being smart about your merchandising and your albums and your physical sales and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and your social media. But also, a lot of these guys are giving guitar lessons and drum lessons online. Yeah, yeah, right. And you mm-hmm. know, there's there's a lot of different facets, man. You know, as as I'm sure you know. Um, so yeah. it's, it's really, there's uh, this, this rock star dream kind of is, you know, it's just that for, for a lot of people who are younger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. And you know, something band, bands, like you just mentioned and bands that I had mentioned, some of these guys that have been around, I mean, uh, they deserve, I, I hope they're making a living. I, I, I would hope they're making a great living. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's not a slayer living, but I, I would love, you know, I would be very happy for them because they deserve it. They stuck it out. They've been there the whole time. Uh, I know how hard they worked at it and stayed at it. And, you know, listen, whatever they've gotten, they deserve. And they actually probably deserve a lot more than they've gotten. So I'm hoping that, they, you know, that, that things worked out for them, like, so that, they, that their lives are going well. And I'm assuming for most of them they are. I, they all, you know, most of them seem pretty well adjusted. I, I hope so too. I well, I, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know anyone's personal life, but I know the guys in Immolation <laughs> seem cool as hell. Um, and, they are. and they're, they're consistently great, great putting guys. out great music. So, uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's interesting because that's a good segue. Because there, before we really keep going forward with um, uh, the the whole sorrow thing and the name change, there's just a quick thing because with that um, that interview I, I credited before with Fingers Metal Shop. Uh, you all, you guys said at the time back in '91. At that point, you had already opened for Sepultura and Deceased. Um, yeah. King Fowley of Deceased, uh, uh, a guest of our program in the last two years. Now, King Fowley, um, I, I love that guy. I think he's kind of a larger-than-life personality. Sepultura, yeah. obviously, there's a big legacy. Lot, speaking of larger-than-life personalities, I just wanted to maybe get any recollections you had on those two entities from back in the days, in the late 80s, early 90s, when, when you came across paths. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, again... It's with weird. I don't have the greatest memory. And listen, I don't do any drugs. I never even I never even had a beer in my life. Mm. But I just have a naturally poor memory. Uh, yeah, I'm good at problem solving, but I'm not good at memorizing. Anyway, so King, I mean, I remember definitely playing shows at the Seas. And larger than life is not even an accurate statement. He's <laughs> like, you know, larger than the universe. I mean, he is just such a character and such a, a great, great guy. And Listen, when we knew him, he was, you know, drinking a lot and doing a lot of other stuff. So uh, I do remember there was one show, and I can't recall where it was, but he's like, we got to get out of here, we got to get out of here. And we're like, what? He's like, he, he threw one of the video games in the back of his pickup truck. Like, he picked up one of the video games, dumped it in his pickup truck. It's like, we got to get the hell out of here. You talk about and a so big arcade game? Yeah, it's a big arcade <laughs> game, you know, like a Miss Pac-Man or something. He just picked, you know, put the dump thing in his truck and he drove away, you know, wanted to drive away with it. Allegedly. So, you know, stuff, yeah, allegedly, yeah. So just, just stuff like that. I mean, King, again, we, we just, we did a couple of shows and I think we 
we might have stayed in the hotels with him and it was it was crazy uh i don't remember exact <laughs> stories that much yeah, yeah and then but you did ask um uh sepultura so i'll tell you another tidbit um about that that sorrow got lost i believe it was the first time that sepultura was coming to the states and uh through road run you know roadrunner brought them in and um monty actually you know kind of called us up if i i don't remember the whole story but he was kind of like trying to get them give them stuff to do keep them busy so he said can you can you you know hang out with them for a day or something so we actually went and picked up sepultura and I, I'm thinking maybe Ed Farsky was with us that day also, but wow. I don't remember exactly. Anyway, so yeah, we actually picked up Sepultura. We hung out with them. We brought them to Mike's basement. They watched one of our rehearsals. We then, after, my, after rehearsal, we took them to White Castle. It's the first time they ever had White Castle. And we hung out with them the whole time. And then at the end of the day or the end of the evening, we, I forgot, we just, you know, we dropped them off somewhere or at a hotel or something. And we spent the whole day with him and, and, we have zero pictures of this. So we hung out with Michael Terra the whole day. They were in Mike's basement watching us rehearse, and I don't think there's a single photo of this whole thing. So anyway, but yeah, we, we hung out with them, and you know, none of them spoke English except for Max. He had very, very broken English. So it was more just like, you know, everyone was nodding their heads, smiling at each other. But uh, I do know that they liked White Castle. <laughs> so... Um, that was it was you know it was just one of those things again since it's been so many years um and i don't have any pictures to jog my memory on it yeah but I, I just do remember that and it was just you know it was unbelievable like hanging out with sepultura it was great and you know hanging out with bands like deceased and i remember we actually played a show with gas and we got to hang out with chuck you know prior to the show a little huh. bit andy the guitarist of sorrow he was a big big chuck fan I mean, he loved death and he loved chuck and uh meeting meeting chuck after the show and hanging out with him when he was like andy was on cloud nine he was so happy because you know he's like chuck just you know he was just talking to me like a regular guy we were just you know it was just everything was normal so you know stuff like that was just you know it was really nice it's very cool to to have those experiences yeah wow yeah yeah um rest in peace chuck that's crazy man okay yeah so, yeah, rest in peace, no doubt. yeah so um uh now get well getting back on track and i appreciate uh those, those stories <laughs> definitely man that's cool uh now getting back on track though you mentioned sorrow um so you guys are dealing with road racer records at that point they eventually turned to yeah. road runner records but the bottom line is i think it was the label's influence for the name changed from apparition to sorrow Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the brief story of that is, is like, Apparition, they were like, eh, we don't really like the name. Can you guys change it? And we were like, yeah, we, like, that was cool because we were going from a thrash to a death metal. And uh, I don't know, I just came up with the name Sorrow, and it was just like everyone looked at each other with click, and, and that was it. So it was a fairly easy name change. But, yeah, it was uh, at the label's request. It wasn't, they didn't demand it. One of the few things, that, you know, they didn't demand things, but, you know, their treatment We'll get into it later, but uh, yeah, they said we just change the name, and we we agreed that was no problem. So that's that's when that happened, right before the first EP came out. Okay, um, uh, and you know when you talk about the first EP, I heard you guys get into it a little bit in the interview. Uh, that Andy was in a uh, some sort of accident, which prevented him from being in the studio and tracking. And if I got it right, he actually was playing bass at one point instead of guitar as a result of of injuries he sustained. Yeah, yeah, very briefly, um, he, he had uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, and he was with someone, and uh, it, was, it was a bad situation, so and he ended up in a coma, and um, 
he, the left side of his body got at, very at, was uh, got very atrophied. Uh, he lost basically use on his arm and his leg, and he had to go through re- rehab to, to get all the to get the muscle movement and build back muscle and whatnot. So um, that happened right after we basically right after we got signed and we were going to go and rehear. You know, we were going to start recording a full album, but because of that happening. Uh, we couldn't record the full album, but we did have those four songs, which I mentioned prior, two of which were the seven inch on relapse. So we had them remixed and remastered for Roadrunner and uh, Roadrunner agreed to put that out because it would have been at least another year before we could have done a full length. So um, we put that out. Um, and then I came up with that idea for the front cover. And this is another story. Should I get into it? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm very sorry to hear that, that, that first story about, about Andy, but, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it just yeah, I, I, you know that thing with Andy. Like I, I don't, we don't really want to harp on it because of course someone actually passed away, like the person who was with him, and um, I'm just not even, like I'm not even going to dig that up at this point. I of course, say that. Uh, no, but, uh, but um, anyway, of course, it was, yeah, it was a horrible tragedy, and um, so we were doing this front cover, and I had this idea of the front cover with like this garbage dump, and you, you know, the person crying, looking at the garbage, you know, like the pollution of the earth and all that kind of uh, environmental stuff, which I-, I was kind of into when I was younger. And, um, uh, and wrote it was like, all right, you know, I guess so. <laughs> they weren't really too happy. And we were like, no, we want this is the cover we wanted. And looking back on it, that was, just, I mean, if we had one major mistake that I could change, that was it. That front cover is just, it's horrible. I mean, how do you sell a death metal album? Putting a you know a commercial like that 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 uh, public service announcement commercial with the Indians. You remember as a kid, like looking at the garbage and crying. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was just a bad choice for a picture. And um, so, but another piece of information was that picture was done through a company with. I was friends with some guy from school, and it was it's computer graphics. Like they took all the photos. And at the time, stuff was still done with paper and glue in some ways. And uh, this company did a full digitized digital um, cover, and including this, the, the teardrop on that is actually computer drawn. And that company actually ended up doing the um, the, the D-side Legion, um, not Legion, uh, the Tri-Crucifixion, that bent pentagram on the second album, was done with that and it was like one of the first computer drawn covers actually that uh, roadrunner ever did and um so it came you know it came out good to us but it's a piece of crap and then let's talk about that photo on the back with my ass mustache hanging out <laughs> um that that picture is just uh, monty was like oh i'm great at pictures i'm great at picking out pictures we had no idea that that picture was going on they didn't say hey can you pick out pictures the album came out we turned it over and there's my ass oh <laughs> my god just like ooh, you're just like i can't believe that this is the, the back of the album and it was bad enough that we like the front and maybe he did it on purpose um and the, the front of it because they were just upset with the front of the album and so that whole album cover is just a, a huge freaking disaster and uh, it probably led to ultimately us being dropped from Roadrunner because we didn't sell enough. Uh, we begged them to put out the second album because we didn't get to do a full length. And we said, listen, contractually, you, you guys got to put out a full album. So they said, fine. They didn't argue with us. We said, we'll, pull out a full, we'll put out that full LP. They put it out. They dropped us. They didn't tell us. 
once again, suffocation was like talking. Mike was talking to one of the guys at Suffolk, and they're like, uh, something about us being dropped. And Mike's like, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, you guys didn't know? They're like, no, we didn't know. They're like, yeah, Roadrunner dropped you a couple of months ago. So Roadrunner <laughs> dropped us right after the album came out, and they didn't even call us, write us a letter, nothing. But they told other people. And that was the end, and that was it. That's how we, that's how we got dropped from Roadrunner. Wow. Wow. So I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, this is I'm all over the place. I apologize. No, no, you're, you're not really. You, 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 you know, you're telling the story, man. That's that's wild. So, man, because what what I was able to track down actually um, for for a fairly uh, economical price on Discogs was the Metal Mind Productions reissue. Oh yeah. Of um, mm-hmm. uh, Forgotten Sunrise and Hatred and Disgust, man, and it's it's great material yeah. for people who want to look it up on whatever platform or, or whatever. Man, um, so it's just interesting to hear that story. It's also a little bit. I mean, I can imagine it must have really killed your guys' spirits, man. It did. It destroyed us. It really, it really, really hurt. And uh, we we were like, all right, we you know had material we were working on, and then we started sending stuff out. We went to relapse, and Matt was like, no. And we were like, what the fuck? How could he say no to us? And then we sent it off. I forgot. I think it was Hellhound out in Europe that did more Doom stuff. And they were like, no. And Mike was playing in some other band at the time. And it wasn't metal band. It was uh, something different. And um, Mike was just like, we were all kind of bummed out. And Mike was just like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So Mike was kind of the first one. And I was thinking about it also. And when he said that, it just, that was it. It was like that game where you have the plastic bricks of ice and you knock one, you know, you keep knocking out those bricks and eventually the mm. whole, the whole, all the ice breaks. Yeah. And that's yeah. sort of what happened. And so we, just the whole band just kind of fell apart. I think Andy was probably the most upset, not the most upset, but he wanted to kind of keep the band going. But Mike and I just at that point were just so disgusted and angry that we were just like, fuck it. And, uh, we were, and that, that was it. And that was the end. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was it. We uh, we did have enough songs for another album. We have a bad rehearsal tape of it. Um, it's floating around on SoundCloud, but uh, it is possible that uh, it's uh, it might make its way. Uh, it might make it might make its way to uh, to an actual release, but uh, no, nothing nothing in concrete right now. Okay. All right. And you're the first to hear that. <laughs> wow. Oh, so are are you um uh jamming with those guys or working with those guys? No, we're not jamming at all together. We're all still friends. Actually, we all still speak pretty frequently. I speak to Mike uh, multiple times a week. Like we're we're very good friends still and uh, we're still all, all of us still talk. Bill um Bill, Andy, I, Mike and I. Yeah, we're all we're all friends, which is very cool. But uh, no, we're not jamming. Uh, like 10, 15 years ago, we were considering jamming again together just for a little bit, but that never came around. And then uh, here's another story quickly. Mike, the drummer, um, he actually has Lyme disease and he never really got over it. And over the years, he's kind of gotten, he got really bad at one point and then he kind of got, he got bad and then kind of leveled off where he's physically, he can move around. He can still get around and you know we could still talk and he could still live live fairly normally but um he has problems like he can't play drums anymore and uh so one of the reasons why we'll never jam together and be actually a full band again is because he can't he can't uh play drums anymore and i, I would just never be in a band sorrow if mike wasn't the drummer because we started together i just wouldn't do it and um 
so we're, we're not jamming together anymore um but we were going to release that rehearsal tape as a possibly as a rehearse but we're also now that everything is you know everyone can do things studio and separately um we're thinking of maybe piecing that out and back together or at least maybe a couple of songs off of it and getting that done. we have some interest already from a few people who uh might want to put that out okay all right so well, I, 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 yeah i wish you the best we'll keep our eyes open um yeah yeah every, we'll you know you'll you'll we'll let you know of course and you know there'll be a little bit of an announcement again we're not sure the rehearsal tape will definitely come out but uh recording of some of the songs off of it we're, we're working on that right now see how it comes out okay and I, <laughs> I i said before that i got the metal minds productions reissue um mm-hmm. uh discography there um uh, that that came out of several years ago now if i so I, I mean that would imply then that if if uh one of these labels nowadays that's putting out all this old school stuff want to reissue something that roadrunner wouldn't necessarily tie it all up or that maybe the, the the rights aren't tied up somehow yes and no okay roadrunner still has the rights i've even approached them about you know just you know what the hell hey you know can i buy my rights for my album back and they didn't even put a price on it, which would have been, you know, they were just like, no, you can't. We, they just don't sell the rights to their back catalog, but they will license it. Now, with that being said, um, Extreme Records, Extreme has a, a 10-inch, I don't know if you saw this or not, but they do like a, a 10-inch um, special, you know, um, special edition, limited edition albums. And they're actually putting out the Human Fear demo on a 10-inch. Um, and huh. it is possible that uh, some of the other apparition items might come out and then who knows uh you know as far as the sorrow re another reissue uh, i'm not sure if that's ever going to happen or not maybe it will happen on vinyl i'm not sure um but uh yeah roadrunner does give out does give out the licenses but they're picky and they don't you can't just pick any time like they metal mind kind of went to them from what i know and did a whole bunch of back catalog records not just sorrow one they did a bunch of them and uh, i i know someone approached approached road racer a couple of years ago and they said well right now we're not licensing anything out but uh it's possible that now that they're they might be ready to start licensing some of that back catalog again and i'm trying to get them to put our stuff on like spotify and apple music because it's never been on any of those streaming platforms and i know everyone hates streaming platforms but they're a necessity so I'm trying to convince them. They said they're going to, you know, I spoke to someone at Road Racer actually recently, said he's going to try to talk Rhino, because Rhino does the streaming part of this, uh, to have Rhino license it over so that it'll be on the streaming platforms at some point. All right, man. Wow. So, <laughs> a lot, all right. Jeez, so a, so lot, bu- a lot bubbling behind the scenes. So, so you are still very actively involved in the legacy of the band. Yeah, yeah, I am. There was definitely a long period of time that, like uh, that i wasn't active like no one was really doing anything with the band it just kind of just all of it was sitting there for you know 10 years before metal mind it was just sitting there doing nothing then metal mind came and then there was a few years that it did nothing and then of course now the last couple of years there's been like this whole resurgence of the uh old, old school death metal and so our name gets thrown around there once in a while so yeah so people contact me here and there and you know people are interested in putting out some of these older releases and anything that else that we have laying around that kind of stuff which is you know it's it's cool you know it's 30 years later but hey you know it's definitely cool yeah yeah no it, it, of course man um 
And, and you're right. The climate nowadays, too. Uh, you know, people are always looking for these old school obscure bands, and there's like you know Ken's Death Metal Crypt and channels that are devoted to. Um, oh yeah, no doubt. Turning up the rocks uh, on you know on, on all those bands that that you know some of them that didn't even get signed or didn't even put out an album. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And I think now here's kind of it sounds like I have like a silly question, but while we're on the topic of the old school days um, and some stuff that I got out of that that uh, Fingers Metal Shop interview or Fingers WBAB interview from back mm-hmm. in the day, it must have been Andy because he was doing the vocals back then. Um, yep. Who said uh, you guys jokingly said, but you did say it that Carvel milkshakes helped for the vocals because fingers was asking about vocal effects and, and joking around about it but he, he yeah. said carvel milk now we've heard from people like chocolate milk i've talked about like uh carrot juice you know what i mean but so so yeah. andy was drinking milkshakes back then huh yeah absolutely yeah he, that wasn't he wasn't making a joke like that was totally serious he would come down to practices sometimes with it or we would go to shows before yeah he, he was totally <laughs> drinking vanilla you know carvel vanilla milkshakes <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny, man. So yeah, yeah. All right, man. All right, so we got that out of the way, man, because the listeners know we have a little bit of a history on the show about th- little things like that for the for the vocals. Um, and so, no, I, no we kind of covered sorrow, but it seems like you you didn't really s- stop just yet. Because if I got it right, the first journey into darkness was in 1996, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so geez, let's get to this segue. All right, first off, I don't even know if you, I'm not sure if you know this or not. I owned a record store back in like 93 to 97. I, I owned a record store and, and I actually did a record label. Okay, so, wait, I mean, wait, yeah, we pump the brakes a minute. <laughs> the listeners are getting, getting, getting to see me pump the brakes. Uh, what this, so there's a fault in my research. All right, what, so, so you take me into, you take over the segue now. For the first time, I'm giving the segue to the guest. Take me through that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to do this quick because I do want to talk about my new music. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. so back in like 93, 94, after the band broke up, it was, I think it was 94, um, I, I wasn't sure, I, was, I had just finished actually, I, I got a degree at Stony Brook, and I'm like, I don't know, I kind of want to open a record store, so I was just like, fuck it, and uh, you know, I looked into it, and I did it, then I opened up a store in Center Reach, it's called None of the Above, and uh, I guess um, it was just, you know, it was all hardcore, death metal, black metal, industrial, like all extreme forms of music and underground music. And uh, I, I owned that, for, I, I ran that for a couple of years. And, um, and through that, I ended up starting a record label, which that first Journey Into Darkness, that album was, I put out on my own label. So there's, I mean, there's like a whole other story with all of this. But um, oh my the, the record store, the record store, I, I ran that for a couple of years. And, uh, jeez, oh I, I planned on moving out to California. This is going to be the shortest story I can make possible. I wanted to move to California. I didn't do it, obviously. But, um, so I sold off the record store to the guy who was helping me run the store, the manager, quote unquote. Would that His be, would that Tom. be, t- oh, 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 I, I, all right. Yeah, finish up. I'll give you my take on all this because you're, uh-huh. blow, you're blowing my mind. Go ahead. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, so Tom DeStefano, another rest in peace, you know, yes. horrible tragedy. Uh, he died also, again, horrible tragedy. Um, and so he bought the store from me, and uh, I planned again, because I planned on moving, I never did. But so I, so I opened that store up, you know, and I ran it for three or four years, and then I sold it to him, and unfortunately, like I said, he passed away, and they had to close the store off. But um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I was heavily involved in music and everything, and then 
uh, towards the end of uh, the record store before I sold it off, I started the label because me, Mike the drummer, was in this other band, Dystopia One, which was kind of an electronic Mr. Bungle, Mr. Primus meets Bauhaus. Like weird, weird, like, yeah. synth stuff. And, uh, and I was doing this, like, weird, very dark synth music. And then I had this band I was friendly with who was an industrial band, Terminal Sex. And so, and, and actually the guy from Control Bleeding, uh, Chris Moriarty, another one, rest in peace, who OD'd many years later. Um, he wanted to do this solo project called Body Clock. So I had all these electronic things going on. I was like, you know something? I'm going to start up a label. I'll put out my friend's band and I'll put out my own stuff. So I put, I put that whole front wave of electronic stuff out, including my first Journey into Darkness. And then I did another wave of releases, which was all hardcore bands, Kill Your Idols, Cleanser, uh, Tension, uh, Justice Unknown. And then I did a 516 hardcore compilation, which was probably my best seller because I had 21 bands from Long Island on that double CD. And, you know, at the time it had almost, it had a lot of bands on there and had bands like Glassjaw and Inside and, uh, Take Neck. Me Back Sunday. Neck Tech, taking what neck? Oh neck! I remember yeah, neck. It was, yeah, it, it was neck. Yeah, yeah. It was just I, I don't remember all the bands on it anymore. But yeah. so taking back Sunday was you know Eddie from the guitarist <laughs> from Inside and um, and Clockwise. Clockwise didn't they recorded, but they didn't actually put on that CD. Anyway, so I did all those hardcore bands at the time too. So I put all that stuff out. I sold the store off, but I was still kind of doing the label on the side. And then I got into CD manufacturing because I, I became pretty good at, you know, knowing how to put CDs out. So people would come to me for help. And I just actually started another business, which was putting CDs out and mastering, uh, you know, getting releases, mastering releases so that they were, C, you know, ready for CD duplication and stuff like that. So that was a whole other part of my life uh, that wow. I was doing, oh, too. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so you, you really called me out here because... I all right. I started going to none of the above probably around 1997 when okay, I was so maybe right like 15 or 16 years old. I had a friend who was a <laughs> few years older, and he was like the guy in the group who had the license in the car first because we're from Huntington yep, Station. Yep. So we would uh, we would fine. take the yep. Northern State Parkway all the way out to, to none of the above like once or twice a month, and that was like going to yep. Disneyland for me as a teenager. <laughs> I would get under the volcano yeah. zine. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, slack, yeah. Slack. Yep. Yep. And and oh, all right, man. So all right, I'm now I'm going down memory lane. But so yeah, I thought I was just doing <laughs> um, an interview for your for your music. I didn't realize that you were the because I've now that now that you're saying all this, I did. I have heard people reference Brett from None of the Above. Didn't realize it was you. Um, and obviously, <laughs> I, I knew Tom DeStefano, and I knew a lot of the um, kind of far far Suffolk County. Far East Suffolk County metalheads that were a few years older mm -hmm. than me, like the guys who were in the band Dimension on and the Forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, oh shit, yeah. Mike Zanchelli yeah, from Paragon Records um, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, one of my lifelong death metal, you know, underground scene friends, and all, all those guys I kind of mm -hmm. knew. Um, so I, I kind of knew Tom through through that crowd of people. My rest in peace to Tom. So yeah. wow. So yeah. So I kind of got in on none of the above, just as you <laughs> you got out. That's crazy, man. All right, so. Um. No. Yeah. Did, did, all right. I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. So, Journey into Darkness in 1996. That's that's you. You know, you mentioned controlled bleeding. Uh, rest in peace, Ivy. That's kind of like a very cult, yeah. uh, New York uh, based. Ex, you know, experimental, whatever you want to call it, industrial noise type of act. 
Um, yeah, and, yeah. and something that occurred to me before you even got into all that, before the interview, I was thinking to myself and taking notes, is that um, listening to Journey into Darkness, obviously I think of uh, Dungeon Synth. And, um, yeah, no doubt. That wasn't really as much of a uh, boxed-in genre. I don't. I don't think people used the term dungeon synth back in the '90s. It was just a thing. No, they really uh, didn't. You no. had, yeah. but I, I thought of. I wanted to ask you about this Mortis. Um, <laughs> yep. Mortis, whoever, uh, however you pronounce it, and also I thought of the Cold Meat Industries catalog and, yeah. and that that whole kind of wave of of artists. Um, yeah, even Coil. Yeah, Coil. We did you? Do you think maybe you had like? extra um access to that type of stuff through the record store i I mean definitely it was you know just because i was you know all that stuff was going across my face and i see people buying it and i you know and of course i'm interested in listening to it and i and i I, although i you know my heart has always been the heavy stuff like the metal like death metal and black metal um but you know some of the experimental and some of the industrial i i did like I, i do like maybe not as much but uh, so I always like to listen to some of the other stuff too, and yeah, that, I mean that definitely, um, you know, just being in the record store all the time and doing all the ordering and you know putting stuff on all day long and uh, yeah, just you know I, I was able to listen to many many different types of music and all different types of bands and it definitely exposed me to a lot of stuff that maybe you know your typical death metal kid at the time wouldn't have been you know exposed to. Uh, unless I came into none of the above and I just happened to be playing it. Yeah, so, that was the only place but, in the area. Other than that, you had to drive out to Valley Stream to slip disc. Slip disc. But there was yeah, nothing exactly. in Suffolk County, really. That's why I, I, I picked, you know, I, I purposely picked Suffolk County and I picked a little bit further out because, honestly, I, I didn't want to really compete with slip disc. I mean, I grew up, slip disc was, you know, was the shit to me. It was like really important. And those treks to slip disc, like you said, is like going to Disney world. It's, uh, it was just unbelievable. Every time you go there, how exciting it was. And I, I didn't really, like, I didn't want to be like taking anything from them. I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was far enough away from them, but I was also servicing all those people out in Suffolk County who, you know, had to drive two, you know, two hours to get to slip disc. You know, now is only 30 minutes away or 15 minutes away, depending on where you're coming from. So I, I didn't want to compete with Slip Disc. And, uh, and that's sort of where I was. Now, Record Stop was close to that. But, like, I looked around at all the stores in that area before I opened, and I was like, no one's carrying, you know, yeah, maybe they're carrying a Slayer album or, uh, you know, and that was pretty much it. You'd be lucky if you found a Minor Threat album. But that was it. So I was like, all right, this is a good spot. You know, no one else is carrying anything near what I'll be carrying. And, uh, you know, and I'm not competing with Slip Disc. So that's that's kind of why I went all the way yeah. out there. Did, did the... Did the but, pro- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you, you mentioned more, more, uh, Mortise. I'm not yeah. sure if it's Mortis or Mortise. I've always said Mortise. Now, what's funny is because, yeah, Dungeon, Dungeon Synth wasn't really a thing, but there was a lot of this atmospheric synth, synth music. And I always listened to it and said, it's boring. I don't like it. Like... I, I would like it, I guess, for the for a background in a movie, but on its own, like it just it didn't go anywhere. It was boring to me. And I said, well, I, I like the idea of it, and I love the intros to death metal albums and black metal albums. And I love those interludes and stuff. I love all that stuff. And uh, so I said, you know, I'm going to just write an album that's going to be like all of those tracks, but it it had to have like. Um, uh, it had to have movement in, in it. So I put like death metal drums 
to the dungeon synth stuff. So I wanted it to not just be like, you know, one chord for five minutes and then change to a chord for five minutes. And I, I wanted it to have, you know, like a beat and, uh, and movement and, and changes and like to be a little bit more exciting and have a lot more to it. So I was really never into like Mortise and that, and that early dungeon synth stuff. I, I didn't like it really. And, uh, so I kind of said, this is the way I want it to be. And that's, that's sort of the how JID started, Journey into Darkness started, was, was, you know, through that stuff. Okay, man. Um, and just, just one more question before we really get into Journey into Darkness's catalog going forward. Um, the pro- I just wanted to ask about, from with none of the above, the proximity to Stony Brook College, who had their WU, mm-hmm. and, and still does to this day have WUSB yeah. Stony Brook Radio, which is a very yeah. widely received um, radio station on Long Island that's always been very important to independent music and extreme music on Long Island. What, was there a relationship? Um, was was there any kind of uh, um, give and take with, with the radio station and the record store supporting one another in some way? You know, something, no, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, something, for some reason there really wasn't. However, a lot of the DJs came into my store and bought stuff. And, you know, people who were buying, you know, like a lot of stuff or, you know, some of those DJs, I would, you know, give a break to like, you know, I would take a couple of dollars off their order, no sales tax, that kind of stuff. So there was no real like deal like, hey, you know, I'll give you three albums and then you advertise, you know, say it's supported by none of the above. Nothing like that. So there was really no formal agreement at all between the radio station and myself. And I, I don't know why. I just I, I didn't. I never thought of it. They never approached me. But like I said, the DJs, a lot of the DJs would come in and buy a lot of stuff through my store. And you know, if they would buy stuff, I would, uh, you know, definitely give a discount. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so with Journey into into Darkness now. It's you know you you talk about how right there kind of in the mid nineties um, you you sell the store or um, or get get into the process of doing so. Um, Journey into Darkness has that life is a near death experience in nineteen ninety six, which by the way is available on the Journey into Darkness Bandcamp along with your more recent work. Um, but then it you know it would seem according to my research, unless you're going to throw me for another loop, that you kind of. Um, uh, pull out of underground music and uh, making music for the public, at least, uh, for for several mm-hmm. years at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so after all of this, and I, I did the CDs after the store, and then after doing the label, and, you know, it, the label wiped me out financially, actually. Like, wiped, you know, it did wipe me out. I, I didn't go bankrupt, but I was very close to it. Um, and then... I did the business with the CD manufacturing and I was doing that for a long time. And then I, I ran into problems because some of the people, some of the labels that I was dealing with weren't paying me. And I had some of the, you know, one or two fairly large labels not paying me. And, uh, you know, I, and I basically sold off the hep business also. And I just kind of got really frustrated and angry with music in general. And I was just disgusted with it. And I, I just, I didn't do anything with music. Uh, I mean, I was listening to some new stuff, but not, I wasn't really buying any music anymore. I was listening, but not much. And so, yeah, it took a couple of years and I just said, I, I'm just not, you know, I just need to step away from the whole thing for a while. But, uh, you know, eventually I got back on, you know, got back on the keyboard and get back on the guitar, but mostly on the keyboard and started writing stuff again. And I did that on and off for, for years, for almost 10 years. Just I wrote some material, you know, stopped for six months, went back for six months, stopped for six months, and I went back and forth. 
And, um, you know, over 10 years, 15 years went by. And, yeah, so you're right. I, I went for that long hiatus where I, I didn't do anything. Um, I was doing some stuff musically, but, yeah, there was nothing. I was not releasing anything at all. Yeah. Um, well, did you... Let me let me ask you this without getting too much into your privacy. Did you find any other kind of artistic or creative outlet, maybe? Yeah, no, I, I really didn't. Um, uh, yeah, I, I actually went back to school, um, and I, while all this was kind of going on, I I got my degree in actually teaching. Uh, I got my high uh, diploma, so that I was able to. I got a master's in education to teach high school uh, math and physics. Huh. But um, I ended up not doing that. I ended up getting into uh, <laughs> getting a job in the, in the financial world uh, because of, I have good computer skills. So um, I, I got involved in that. So it's kind of like the antithesis <laughs> of, of of creativity, which was uh, getting into like the finance stuff. And uh, but I did some programming, and uh, in some ways, programming is creative. So I guess um that would i guess would be if you want to consider programming a creative outlet that was the only thing i was doing but as far as like art goes no i i, I wasn't doing anything else okay for a fair, while. fair enough and um yeah our, my co-host tom who's not with me during the interviews a lot of the time he he's um uh getting into programming himself now i know he's learning c sharp is the thing that he's really uh educating oh, yeah. himself right. on now seems seems to be very grueling for him um it's 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 difficult you know programming it, it, it you know depending on which languages and what type of program you're going to do it, it it's not, it's not easy you know it, it can be very difficult so that's why not everyone can do it yeah yeah it's well it's the future right a hundred percent but the thing is is as the future goes along the, the, the programming is always going to be necessary but um you're going to need less people to know how to do the very advanced like you're going to have still need people to do some of the advanced programming but a lot of the stuff that that's done like like on a day-to-day -day, like on websites or even in databases and stuff is becoming much easier like you don't need to have like a specialized degree or need to have like a really deep in-depth knowledge of like mathematics or or database theory to um to be able to program it's it, you know as it goes on a lot of the stuff becomes a little bit easier so that you know like it doesn't have to be as specialized mm, okay if that makes sense yeah yeah no it does make sense um all right so now 2020 obviously a lot of people um turn to music and to their creative outlets uh did you bring journey into darkness back as a result somehow of the pandemic maybe having more time on your hands or or something something of that nature or does it just happen to coincide with this period of time you know it actually just coincided it, it really did because I, I started back up in like 2017 2018 i started you know digging up my old songs and playing them and and i knew this time around i said okay I liked the first JID. I, I thought it was unique. Most people didn't like it. Uh, you know, it didn't do that well, which is fine. Um, but I said, you know, this time around, I wanted it to be heavy because I just, you know, I went from sorrow to JID. So I, I didn't need the heavy, like I had the heaviness, but I didn't need the guitars and the vocals. But this time around, since it's been so many years since I, I put together something, you know, that heavy, that I was. I wanted to make sure that this time around that uh, I was going to put guitars and vocals and like make it like a full band because uh, I missed writing. I missed writing on the guitar and I missed that that extra extra heaviness you get 
from having, you know, the guitar and the bass and uh, the vocals. So in 2017, 2018, I started writing stuff again, and I started adding guitar to it to see what it sounded like. And I was like, hey, this is great. This is exactly what I want. Uh, you know, then I was finishing up writing songs, and then, yeah, then, then the plague hit. Um, and I work from home. I've worked from home for, for many, 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 many years. So when it, when it all started to happen, it wasn't a big deal to me in the sense that I already worked from home, so there's no change in my work environment so it didn't change me in that much sense of course i didn't go out on the weekends anymore you don't go out at night although i don't go out at night much anyway um so in that sense i had a lot more time at home uh so i guess it was you know made it easier for me to finish that album up and in fact to put another album out you know within a year of that first one so it really was a coincidence but i guess it did help get that second album out a little quicker Okay, um, and you mentioned the sound, which is more of a symphonic black metal. Uh, I would yeah. say I would say influenced sound. Did that wave of bands, the the you know the the kind of second wave black metal, the big Scandinavian bands everyone's very familiar with, who mm -hmm. rose to prominence in the late '90s, was that a big deal for you back when that was going on? You know, it wasn't, and I don't know if people are going to believe me or not, but it really was not. In fact, that was sort of the time where I stopped. I started to not listen to that much music, and some of it I was listening to maybe more industrial music, but um, I wasn't listening to a lot. So even the band, you know, bands like you know, em Emperor was you know my favorite. And then I tried Eclipse when that album, like that was one of those pivotal albums in my life, and it's just just a phenomenal, phenomenal album. And um, but other bands like let's say like limbonic art as odium you know obsidian gate uh those those bands you know old man's child even all those bands passed me by like some of them i heard of some of them i didn't even hear of until many 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 years later some of them i didn't hear of until just a couple of years ago a band like sirius who i think is a phenomenal band actually has two albums out first album is phenomenal don't really like the second too much i'm not even sure if they're around these days it's been 15 years since they put an album out but uh like i didn't even catch that the first time around i didn't know about it until just a few years ago so it's kind of funny that there was all this stuff kind of going on when i was doing the journey into darkness and i didn't even really catch wind of it because had i caught wind of it at the time some of it i did but not a lot of it i, I don't know maybe maybe journey to darkness would have started up again back in 2000 rather than 2017 <laughs> so uh, it, it's kind of weird i i I didn't, yeah, so some of it I knew about, but some of it I didn't. I wasn't really heavily into it at the time. All right, fair enough. Because it, 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 that, that kind of, um, it, it has a very uh, similar sound in some respects. And it also, there are times where it seems to kind of harken back to the death doom days a little bit too in certain in certain riffs. Yeah, yeah well, I, you know, like, I, I wasn't, you know, there were bands that, you know, trying to clone I'm not going to say clone other bands, but they're trying to clone that style from the late 90s. And I love it. It's a great style. I, I really do enjoy it. But I'm not interested in cloning that sound. Um, and, I, and I still like, you know, I still like my death metal. And I just, I just, you know, naturally fuse the two genres just because I like both styles so much. And I've listened to so much of both those styles. And, you know, and I grew up with all that death metal. It's, you know, it's hard for it to, you can't yank it all out of me. So uh, with that, uh, so some of those elements will seep in there. It's not, it's certainly more of a black, it's certainly more of a black metal 
symphonic black metal than anything else. But there's definitely there there's definitely you know a, a, a bit of death metal and a, definitely a bit of doom metal and that that sorrow sound is in there a little bit just just in the background. But it, it's stuff it's definitely there. Yeah, of of course, man. And and um, with that being said, do you keep up? And have you kept up um, through the years with uh, more modern and, and younger uh, extreme metal bands? Yeah, I'm going to say yes and no. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I, I listen to a lot of the new stuff, and it's uh, dumbfounding how much good music is out there now. And I'm blown away by the musicianship, the songwriting, the production. I mean, it's just every band, everyone's an amazing musician. Like any one of these bands... If they were back in the 1990s, they would have been, you know, like the the, the best musicians at the time. And now it's just <laughs> like average. So I, I I can't believe the skill level of the guitarists and the drummers and the bass players these days. It's it really is just unbelievable. And I, I love all the new stuff. I, I love all the new music. I I sample a lot of it. The problem is there's so much of it. Yeah. You get you know you, you get the. Uh, attention deficit disorder because I, I listen to you know you, you're flipping around constantly and i try not to like I, I i like to listen to an album but then i'll listen to the album but i'll be like oh let me try another one because there's you know 10 albums a day come out so i'm always constantly jumping and looking for the next album that i think is going to be you know the album that's gonna you know be another pivotal album in my life and i haven't run into that yet but there there are a lot of you know just all the new there's a lot of new stuff that's really good i don't just discard it because hey all oh, it's new everything new sucks i'm not like that at all i i like a lot of the new stuff i'm constantly looking for new stuff yeah yeah um and we're living like like you said kind of in a, a death metal really i say we're living in a death metal renaissance nowadays um right. where it's just a lot of the older bands are getting great support younger people are into it back when you were working at the record store um, that was kind of, it, it's almost like, it sounds like the era that you, that you started it when, and worked at the record store for was kind of like the decline of the popularity of death metal into the more hardcore, um, and, and like new metal and black metal era of the mid to late nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that's a, yeah, that's a perfect assessment. I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent. So you actually saw, like, right, like, like in terms of sales, like the death metal popularity declining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And and you know, a lot of the industrial stuff was starting to get popular, uh, and for some reason, it just never took off. Like, you know, a band like Skinny Puppy got big. Ministry got you know was you know got big, uh, but a lot of it, just none of it, really took off from there. In fact, some of the stuff I, I put out, Terminal Sect, was a band that I thought actually was you know you know kind of take off a little bit which is why i lost a lot of money on on the whole labels because mm. i put a lot of money behind it um thinking that 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 they would take off but the style just never it never did take off but death metal just started to wane away and i didn't put out death metal and i i look back and i'm like scratch my head you know like it's weird that i didn't put any death metal albums out but i think it was kind of like at the time it was just uh, you know it was kind of getting stale there was really nothing new or exciting i guess and um yeah it wasn't doing that well and black metal was just really starting to you know pick up and uh there was all the you know all the nonsense that was going on in the mid 90s that was getting a lot of press time and by the time that stuff got really really big i was out of the record store already 
um, at that point. Yeah, and well, now here's my question um, uh, to follow up that then is nowadays with the immense popularity of death metal, um, it's everywhere. George from Cannibal Corpse has a solo album, obituaries all over the place. There's tons of bands mm-hmm. that are in their like early 20s that are you know touring and blowing up. It's all good. Death metal's big now. Could you see the same thing happening and kind of mirroring what happened in the late 80s and early 90s, this death metal explosion that eventually wanes off until death metal is not popular at all and there's a different style of, of metal or extreme music that, that has completely taken all of those um, supporters? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good question that I probably really couldn't answer. I guess it's, we would all just have an opinion on it. And I, I think like anything else, it will sort of, the thing, the difference between then and now, though, is there's so many subgenres, right? It's not, you know, before it was death metal. Okay, there was brutal death metal. You know, we played a little doom metal, so there was, you know, suffocation was different than than we were. But I mean, now there's five different types of brutal death metal. There's five <laughs> different technical death metals. There's melodic death metal. There's you know doom death metal. There's brutal technical death. There's just you know there's genres and subgenres, and because of that, it's it's forked off into this huge branch this tree that has hundreds of branches now and it might not go away entirely just because there's just so many new branches that are sprouting up mm. and I, and who knows what that next branch is going to look like what, what the new branch is going to look like at this point because I, I, you know you always say well what else can you possibly do and then someone comes along and breaks a mold and you, and you, you know holy shit there's, there's another style so um I don't see it really ever waning the way, like it really died down to almost nothing for, for a couple of years there. Uh, I mean, not nothing, but it really did, you know, fall, fall off the plateau. Um, so it, it'll probably get to a point where it gets a little bit stale again, but you know, something else will pop up. And again, there's just so many genres right now. I don't think it'll ever really slow down that much. That that's an interesting point. That it's become its its own huge branch of the tree, uh, with all these different offshoots. Man, that that's that's a good point to think about. So it might not necessarily go away and fade away as quickly as last time, uh, if anything. Yeah. Some of the you know like the old school death metal that's kind of like resurging now. You know that might go in the way. You know you'll have a whole bunch of new bands that are doing it, and then that gets stale again because there's only you know there's only so much you can do with that style, and you know so it's modernized. And then that'll get stale a little bit, maybe in a couple of years, and then you know it'll wane away, and then there'll be a resurgence of the old, a resurgence of the resurgence. Who knows? Yeah, it'll just keep going, man. But when we when we talk about things resurging, as we said, Journey into Darkness did resurge in 2020, multitudes of emptiness. And it seems like very quickly in 2021, you follow that up with Infinite Universe, Infinite Death. Um, which has which has been uh, uh, issued on um, uh, vinyl and cassette. If people want to go online and find that, and all that's on Bandcamp. Um, so you, uh, now, would would you attribute the pandemic to the quickness um, uh, with which you followed that up with with uh, uh, the most recent one? Yeah, I I think it had a little to do with it, but not. I, I it's one of those you can't I can't tell because uh, you know like I can't go back and get rid of COVID and then see if I can oh, get okay. out yeah yeah because. The issue, and I say that because, again, I, I work from home, and 
because of that, my life didn't change in, in respect of, you know, how I delegate my time. I guess I, I mentioned before that I, I, maybe I stayed home, you know, I stayed home a lot more. But, you know, listen, COVID stressed everyone out. and It certainly stressed me out a lot. And um, so in some ways it hindered my creativity. And, you know, by hindering my, cre- you know, it might have hindered my creativity a little bit. But then again, I had a little bit more time. So I, I think it's, it had like a negative effect on me, but then it had a positive. I don't mean negative, positive, like I meant in terms of writing music. Yeah. It, it negatively yeah. impacted me, the creativity because of stress. But at the same time, it afforded me more time that I was not going out and, you know, just going out and doing stuff. So that maybe helped it. So it's hard to say, really, if it pushed the album out or not. I think it pushed it out. To be honest, I think I pushed these albums out because of my age. <laughs> and and I say that because, you know, I'm in my mid-50s now. I'm 54. I'm turning 54 very soon. And, you know, you're just like, I have this music in me still. And I want to get it out. And I just, you know, I want to get it out while I still can and while I'm still around. And now that these albums are out, I feel a little bit more relaxed. Like, okay, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be 60 and not put these albums out. So I've got a couple out now. So at least I feel like I don't have to rush and force myself to put anything else out. Although I'll have something else out probably within another year. Hmm. But uh, my my age had something to do with it, honestly. In fact, if you read the lyrics on this new album, Infinite Universe, Infinite Death, especially the song um, "The Briefest Moment," it, you know, I talk about stuff that I think about, you know, getting older and death and all that fun stuff. That if you're under the age of forty-five, you'll understand what i'm saying but if you're over the age of 45 you can relate to what i'm saying um if that you know like i I think that's sort of the way i look at it and i just did a huge segue into a totally other other topic well no um, it's actually good you're you're, together you're synchronizing a lot because i was trying to find my way into asking about the lyrics um because it does say on Bandcamp in the description that um, you think the listener could get a deeper meaning from the album by by following the lyrics? Uh, so I did. I did uh, uh, read the lyrics, and with Infinite Universe, Infinite Death, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of reflection. I think on um, the the brevity of life and the um, almost the kind of uh, indifference of the universe, the the kind of cold indifference of the universe. Is that fair to say? Yeah, hundred percent. Exactly. It's just like this big this big joke that, that, that the universe and that life is. And it's, uh, you know, the universe d- doesn't care what we do, doesn't, doesn't think. It, it, you know, what we do is absolutely irrelevant and how insignificant and small we are and the brevity, brevity of life and uh, the fragility of it and how, uh, you know, we just kind of go through, you, you go through life and, you don't get a second chance and uh you know you 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 make certain mistakes that you can't change and uh, just you know things of that nature you know some of the other lyrics uh, i don't get into anti-religious lyrics that much because i've I've done that already i mean i'm completely anti-religious like i hate all religions but um uh, i just felt on this on this album and these lyrics i just yeah you know this this yearning of like there's nothing more. It's like this existential crisis to, to be cliche. Um, 
that there's, you know, like this is it. There's, there's nothing else. There's nothing more to, to all of this. And it's kind of like, it's a bummer. It's, you know, bums you out. It's like, a, this kind of sucks. And like I said, existential crisis. But at the same time, you know, there's still beauty and wonder in the universe. Eh? Just the, 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 the laws of physics and understanding how the universe you know, to some degree how it works and, um, and just, you know, the beautiful uh, images that things can make. Uh, I still enjoy those things also, but at the same time, it's like there's this, always this underlying coldness and darkness uh, to, to, to life and the universe. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think the listeners, if they want to go sample um, uh, the the band's uh, music and, and lyrics, they can get some insight into that. It's um, like I said, a lot of depth, a, a lot of it's this kind of symphonic black metal sound for the most part, um, which which adds to that. You mentioned limbonic art before when we were talking about this. Do you follow a lot of these bands and what they've done over the years? Arcturus also yeah, comes do. to mind. What was it? I said Arcturus also comes to mind. Oh, Arcturus, yeah, yeah. Actually, well, I, I followed... Limbonic R is weird because one of those bands I liked and then I sat for a while and didn't listen to them and then I kind of, the last couple of years I started... People, a lot of people said my music sounded like Limbonic R. I was like, you know, shit, I haven't visited this band in a while so I started listening to it again. But, and you know, as usually happens, not with all bands, but a lot of bands, I love the first album. Moon and the Scorpio... I mean, it's just a masterpiece. It's, it's phenomenal. The melodies on that, I, I mean, just the, the, the first two-minute, like, orchestral is one of my favorite orchestral pieces of all time, that first part of that album. It's just phenomenal. And, you know, every album after is a little bit of a letdown, you know? So a couple of albums in, I'm just, I, I don't really listen to it that much. So, like, I try to follow these bands, but unfortunately to me, uh, you know, my opinion is that the music just, it, they just never was able to reach the pinnacle that they reached on their first album. You know, and a, a lot of bands do that, unfortunately. And some bands got better after, but most bands <laughs> tend to go, you know, I don't know what happens. They just, I don't know if it's they mellow out or they don't, I, I shouldn't say mellow out. They just, they change. And, you know, a lot of times just not for the better. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's funny, man. I think sometimes it might be what the popularity does to them. Sometimes it's... um. Uh, sometimes it's drugs. Who knows? Allegedly, <laughs> but yeah. um. Well, I, I have a theory on that, and I'll throw that. Not drugs. I, I have a theory on that. When you, from the first album or two that you write, you pour so much into it. it. It's so hard to, you know, sometimes to write music, and you just pour, and it has to be perfect. Every note has to be perfect, and everything has to be great and phenomenal. And then, you know, the third album, you're like uh, the fourth album, maybe the fifth album. You you don't spend as much time and thought writing you're just like oh it's good enough rather than those first few words like it was so important to be perfect and i'll use a band like rush just to pull it out of the hat i mean those first few rush albums i mean you start getting into like farewell kings uh and hemispheres the complexity of those albums i think after that when they came out with moving pictures they were just like we, we can't do this anymore mm. we just don't have it in us anymore it's just too difficult to write albums like that and slayer is another one hell awaits to me is the pinnacle of slayer Wow. People will say Rain and Blood, but let's just say uh, Hell Away to Rain and Blood. I think after they wrote those albums, it's just those, the albums that came out after are just much easier to write. They just were. And I, I think some of these bands not doing as well is just that their musical creativity, their, those first few ideas that they have all came out in those first albums and, and they just don't have it in them anymore. And it becomes, 
it's this is good enough. It's not it's not perfect anymore. And I think that's what happens with a lot of the bands. I, My I, personal opinion. No, fair enough, man. That's interesting. We say Slayer. My opinion, see, I really enjoy, obviously, um, those older albums that are more, de- you know, kind of proto-death metal, but um, uh, Divine Intervention, I thought, was a great mm-hmm. answer, and it almost, but but here's the thing, you're kind of right, because Divine Intervention, to me, is so good, because it almost sounds like Slayer's answer to death metal that had become popular at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. you, I think you're kind of right, you know what I mean? And then they also they also did that, um, later on in the 90s, they did that Diabolus music album, which was almost, it had some yeah. new metal, kind of groovy. Like, so yeah, they did kind of start swaying with the times from time to time. As much as I love Slayer, we all love Slayer, but let's, you know, we can be honest. <laughs> Between friends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just use, I always use Hello H because to me, Hello H is, is one of the greatest albums ever written. Mm-hmm. It just is. And, and to the point where Rain and Blood was actually a disappointment to me. That's yeah. how much I think Hello H is just such a phenomenal album. And I, and I listened to the complexity of that album and just the nuances and the depth. I just, I don't think they, I just don't think they had it in to recreate it after that. And, uh, you know, I can say that about a lot of bands. Um, with that being said, I'll say bands like Suffocation and Immolation. I mean, damn, uh, you know, Ten Immolation, eleventh album, you know, still going strong. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are exceptions to the rule, which is great. Um, you know, and uh, but a lot of those bands, you know, going back to Limbonic Art, uh, I, I love the first album. Second album's good. Then by the third and fourth album, I like them. I think they're good. But you know, if I'm going to put on Limbonic Art, it's always Moon and Scorpio, just because it's such a great album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe because you've been very generous with your time, Brett. I appreciate it. When you threw me for the none of the above uh, loop, I could have kept you on for another three hours. Easy. Um, <laughs> might, might have to get you back one day. But you've been very generous with your time, and you're already recommending albums now. We we talked about um, your your project where you you handle all um, instruments and the uh, the like you said the drum programming. Journey into Darkness. Um, all three albums available on Bandcamp. The most recent of which is 2021's Infinite Universe, Infinite Death. That's the one we've been discussing. Um, could I get you now to uh, recommend one older and one newer album by any artist you like, metal or otherwise? And then I will, of course, give you opportunity to plug uh, Journey into Darkness and, and anything else you like again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, I already said Emperor, so as far as the old stuff goes, um, uh, let's see, maybe, uh, for an old one, I, I, I don't want to do, uh, why don't we just go with something simple, Morbid Angel, Altars of, Altars of Madness? Yeah, why, why not? <laughs> yeah, I know, again, if we, you know, if we're going to go old school, that's like the pinnacle of old school death metal, so... So I'll go with that. Um, new ones, I'm going to pick some, some uh, bands that I've been, you know, that I communicate with, I'm kind of friendly with. Um, so one of them is a band called Chest Crush. Hmm. And Chest Crush is from, uh, it's, they're based out of the UK. The guy who does it, though, is, uh, he's from Greece originally, but uh, he's based in the UK right now. And he does this really uh, sludgy, dirty, death metal, doomy, stuff and it's a little bit of black metal in it but just a lot of doomy dirty angry like not really it's death metal but it's you know 
death death black metal but uh so that's really good so the, the band is chest crush chest and crush. i'm not going to pronounce the 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 album name starts with a v it's greek so I, i'll say it wrong so i don't want to say the album name but it does start with a v um and then uh let's see the other one would be uh let's see uh maybe tafa let me see um yeah, I'm just looking up there. Okay, so the other band, uh, Tatva, T-A-T-T-V-A, is a French one-man black metal band. Very cool guy. Uh, and again, it's not it's not just straight up black metal. Like, it's not just like raw black metal. It's not. It's uh, got a lot of like nuances and melody and some other stuff. And uh, the name of the album is Naraka is the new one. I, I had to look up the name because I pronouncing it incorrectly probably um and then there's just one other album i'd like to mention which is my label mate zetar so zetar z-e-t-a-r um they um their their label mates they came out with an album uh that's on the same label it's uh sierra Crawford publishing um and uh Hang on, I'm sorry about that. Okay, so the name of their album is Devouring Darkness, and it's actually like sci-fi, death metal, and uh, if you like <laughs> if you like Star Trek, a lot of the lyrics are based. It's like almost fan fiction. Huh. Um, so it's it's really interesting album. The lyrics are really interesting and neat. It's a very good concept album. Uh, it's so it's sci-fi, but it is it's, it's death metal, but it's got some thrash elements in it too uh so z-e-t-a-r i would recommend that too so there's three three new bands okay all right that I'm three for the price three for the price of one right there yeah i hope that's okay <laughs> no of course man we're always looking for new stuff and um morbid angel alters of madness i had this thing I, I read a few of those books especially during the pandemic i got really into like the uh the Finnish death metal book and some of the Swedish death metal books that came out. And um, mm-hmm. those books always make me go back to some of the classics uh, of the genre, too, because you hear a lot of these bands crediting um, Sepultura's uh, Schizophrenia, uh, Death's Leprosy, and um, mm-hmm. Altars of Madness by Morbid Angel. I think those three and maybe the <laughs> early Carcassé albums are usually the ones that come up more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, those you know, those were extremely pivotal albums and bands. Of course, if you say Sepultura, I would say Morbid Visions. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, that <laughs> but, one too. Uh, that one too. And Death would be Scream Bloody Gore for me. But again, those you know, I don't know. It's always like that. You know, it's not first album for uh, Sepultura. It was the second. But uh, anyway, like yeah, those bands and that era of those bands was just it was pivotal. They were just that, that was the biggest thing in death metal at the time and uh, yeah those are very important albums no doubt about it 100 percent. and as you mentioned before one uh, one plug i before i forget the um apparition in 1989 human fear demo being repressed on its extreme records from spain right yep that's correct yep dave yeah, yeah, Dave Rotten, people might remember him. He goes way back to um, when he was doing Drowned Productions in the 90s. Um, he's reissued a lot of those classic Finnish death metal albums and EPs and demos over the years. So that's really cool that you're going to be uh, on that team um, with, with that reissue. That's that's good yeah, company yeah. being in terms of the reissues. 
Yeah, no, it's cool. I was very happy. I mean, he listen. He he chased us down for years now. He was in touch with Andy many years ago, and like he made a deal with Andy, and we didn't even know. But it was you know it was all good. Uh, so he he's been trying to get stuff out of us for years now. So I'm really really happy that it, that it's happening. And yeah, kudos to him. I, I appreciate all his help and, and you know pushing this out. And also, I just want to say thanks to Spirit Crawford Publishing who who did the Infinite Universe Infinite Death album. He put it out on CD, cassette, and vinyl. The vinyl was delayed, but he now has the vinyl in stock. And uh, so a big thank you to Josh over at Spirit Coffin Publishing. You can check out Zitar and uh, a couple of other bands that he has on there. And he does a he does a zine called Grizzly Butts. So if anyone needs a, a good online web zine, uh, go to grizzlybutts.com. Okay. Um, yeah, Spirit Coffin Publishing. I was looking at that before. We got some interesting books for sale and a, a bunch of different um, things in addition to some cool music. So people should definitely check that out for the physical. I think the physical copies are no longer available on, on Bandcamp, but on the Spirit, Spirit, um, Spirit Coffin Publishing yeah. website, they are. I have, CD, I have CDs, but he's got the cassette. He's got CDs also. So yes, he's got CDs, but the cassettes and the vinyl, you have to go through him. He's got them uh, at his uh, Spirit Coffin Publishing. If you Check him out on Facebook if you just do a or a Google search because he's on Big Cartel rather than uh, Bandcamp. Yeah, he, he has most of his stuff up on Big Cartel. Okay, um, fair enough. And um, Brett, you've been very uh, generous with your time. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, any last messages to uh, followers of your music um, and your history in the scene and listener listeners of our show? I, thank you very much. Listen, I, you know, you've been very generous with your time, and, and I hope I haven't been too verbose or no, wordy. No. Uh, you know, sometimes I can go off for a while, so I, I appreciate you giving me the time. And I, I actually wanted to talk about afterbirth for a few seconds, but I think we're running out of time here. Oh no! I, I got I got time. I just worry about taking up your time. <laughs> we'll definitely we'll definitely take a, a little afterbirth bonus if you got something. <laughs> no, I was just you know I I just. I remember back, you know, going to shows and with Sundance and even when, when Sorrow was poor, Apparition was playing, like, uh, I know this is probably, this might be a sore, sore subject, but, you know, Matt Duncan, I would see him at all the shows and stuff. And I remember after birth, like, I just remember, you know, when the band had just kind of got formed and they just started up and they were, you know, starting to play, you know, rehearse and all that kind of stuff. So it was just, it was a nice, you know, uh, it's just, you know, interesting, not interesting, but it's cool that you're, you know, like you're, you took the torch sort of and are, are you know, that's, that, that's another band from a bazillion years ago that's kind of, you know, that started up again after, after many, many years and, you know, it's still kind of going at this point. And I think it's cool that you, you were able to kind of pick it up and, you know, pick up that, that the vocal style and the whole bit. Yeah, well, not. I would say, first of all, I much appreciate it. I'm sure the other guys would appreciate those kind words. And I'm um, not a sore subject at all. Matt Duncan is the original, um, and the, and as I say, the true vocalist of uh, Afterbirth. Um, and I, you know, I grew up listening to that original psychopathic embryotomy demo, trying to do vocals like that. So I'm really, uh-huh. um, you know, and those guys have been, uh, they've over the years, not only, um, just kind of inspiring musicians to work with, but really good friends, uh, good natured guys. Um, so, you yeah, know, it, it, it's, a, you know, cool. everything with Matt, um, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy, 
and and you know may he rest in peace like uh, unfortunately a lot of the other people we spoke about in this conversation man so right. it's uh you know it's just one of those things in life man where we've ended up here at this yeah. point in life uh you know but we can always look back and celebrate people's legacy and memory man so yeah I, you know yeah. We, we we actually talking about these it's funny you talk about these reissues um it hasn't been announced yet so i'm not going to say the label but i'll just say that the psychopathic embryotomy demo that original afterbirth demo mm-hmm. uh with matt duncan it, it, we are um well they i should say they are talking to somebody about uh, another reissue another physical reissue i'll just leave it at that oh very cool yeah so yeah that's great and I, you know watch and the other albums being on unique leader i mean holy crap i mean that's just phenomenal and and just talking about matt briefly i remember going back him doing those vocals back in, you know, 92 or 93, whatever, when mm-hmm. I saw him in Sundance or the Roxy or wherever we were. And it was, it was him. I mean, no, he really, you know, I don't think there was anyone else doing the vocals like he was doing them at that time. I, I do think he, as far as I know, you know, just like Mike Smith, is the, the, he, he did the blast beat first, kind of. Uh, Matt, I think, is the first one to do those low guttural, like, you know, the, the ultra low guttural vocals. I don't think uh, I, anyone else. Hey. Yeah, I was just gonna say I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I was just like, you know, what the hell are you doing, Matt? You know, <laughs> and we used to go have this debate back and forth. You know, you are you breathing in or you breathing out, and you know, stuff like that is fun. Yeah, a lot of but people was, think that he was doing the inhales. I I'm inclined to yeah. believe it was some sort of an exhaled uh, growl, but I, he I, said I don't it was know. An exhale. Yeah, he said it was. He always said it was an exhale. He's like, we're like, no, nah, you're you're sucking in. He's like, I'm not sucking in. I'm not. But uh, it was funny. We used to have like those. You know, it was never an argument. It was always. Yeah, you know, it was always yeah. fun. But yeah, I mean, I just he was always around, and it was uh, you know, it's just cool that you know, here we are, you know, twenty, thirty years later, and you know, uh, uh, still still speaking about the band. It's cool. It's definitely yeah. cool. Something yeah. that I would never have thought of when we were, you know. 23 24 years old 1991 you know yeah 2021 22 we're going to be talking about it you know well, here, here, cool. here we Definitely. are. I didn't even know I was going to be talking to the guy who started None of the Above Records when we got on the phone, but here we are. <laughs> I might, right. I might have to get fun. you back for uh, for part two one day, man, just to talk about that, man. Talk about tension. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're uh, playing. You know, tensions. Conversation. Tensions coming back to uh, Long Island. They're, they're opening up for Glassjaw in uh, Huntington at the Paramount Theater. Man, well, that, that's like a time time capsule show right there. Oh shit! Oh yeah, Glassjaw. But you know, funny, like that stuff is like later. That's new school to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. that's what's funny. Like that's like old school to most people, but to me, being the old fart, it's like oh that shit. That's old. That's new school. Like anything after like nineteen ninety. Ninety five or something, you know, especially like last year. Yeah, it's like that's, a, yeah, that's awesome. That's baggy pants, new jack shit, man, from the nineties, man. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. Well, I'll, I'm gonna throw you through. I'm gonna give you another loop, and then we'll get it off here. But uh, I did a, a movie, uh, like a really independent movie, and uh, you said baggy pants, and I was playing like some like screwed up hardcore kid, and uh, I had those big bad, you know, big bell bottom baggy pants like throughout the whole throughout the whole movie i was wearing those so when you said that that's, i just had that vision again w- was anyway. it a, was it a movie anybody uh, might have seen absolutely not no it never <laughs> it never got released it was okay. supposed to and that's a whole other story and i uh, i won't even get into it but okay. um, All right. it was called gar- it was called garage land but you'll never see it anywhere 
All right. Well, I, 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 I'm going to have to try to get you back uh, one day, man, to, to tell some more of the stories, man. But for now, people can always go back, uh, keep their eyes peeled for that human fear demo reissue by the Long Island Legacy Act apparition who later became Sorrow. Maybe you'll see something on Discogs if you're looking for them. And, of course, Journey into Darkness, available on Bandcamp to preview and to buy merchandise from Spirit Coffin Publishing uh, or the CD on Bandcamp. And Brett, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was I had a blast, and uh, I, I hope I wasn't too wordy. And thanks again. I, I really do appreciate your time also. Just the right amount of words, man. You have a good night, brother. Okay, later, bro. That's what we should just start every interview with. Like, yeah. You know, it used to be about your history. That's what we're doing from now on. I'm entering the show. I'm starting it with that. We're not asking about what your first musical instrument was. Are you from a musical family? What's your favorite color? And then if they answer, it'll be like, what's your favorite shade of green? <laughs> so keep going. Why? Where did you first see that color? Like, try just, to stretch it out. Just get okay. as high as possible. Yeah. This. Are we recording? Yes. Listen, man. We're not as high as possible, but what's your favorite color? No, this is big, Will. Uh, we, I don't know what was going on during, while we were playing that interview, but got a little weird in here. Came back yeah. very strange. Yeah, yeah. I, the psychedelia. We, that, I told you not to put on Warflurch around here. But um, the, big shout to Brett Claren for talking about his time, not only in Apparition, uh, a.k.a. Sorrow, uh, but his current project, Journey into Darkness. Um, that was a gr- that was a great uh, time learning from him and hearing about some of that old school stuff and also getting some insight into his latest project. Uh, Long Island guy uh, at heart, man. Even when you leave Long Island, there's a little bit of Long Island in you. Yeah, can't get rid of it, man. Yeah, no matter how hard, at some point in your life, you're gonna not pronounce those R's, even if you, you try. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh but, yeah. Yeah, you can always hear it. You're gonna mention the bread too every time. The oh. pizza's different. The bagels, all that stuff. Yeah. Even though, like, I yeah. don't really care about that so much like i've thought about this i'm gonna be moving down to georgia hopefully within the next six months or so hmm. I and i don't really care about the bread thing that much but it will happen as you soon will. as i move out you will yeah yeah that's when it happens be man. the bread guy well listen you're talking about going around different states getting out of the new york accents i think we're gonna give the listeners a little taste of somebody who doesn't have a new york accent right now yep. hey what's up well uh now from pennsylvania a cursed womb and vital vinyl vlog. Uh, I would recommend checking out the new Dodskavad demo. They're death metal from Norway. Death metal done the right way, also ancient sounding. It it's sick. Like it's coming off of their first demo, which is called Crawlneck One. It's on Caligari Records. Super, super good. And Kronek 2 is the new one. I don't speak Norwegian, but it's badass. Caligari Records. Also, I've been listening to Snent a lot. 
That band is just absolutely filthy, crushing, and heavy. And if you haven't checked out my band yet, A Cursed Womb, uh, check that out. Um, all of our tape reissues are sold out, but we have a third official press on the way, 500 CD copies at the end of the month. So, yeah, check that out, and... Thanks. I love what you do, Will. Hails. This is Schnell. Peace. <laughs> Goodbye. Hell yeah. What's Will. up, Schnell? Good to hear from Schnell out there, man. Um, a guy from Pennsylvania that uh, I've had the chance to meet in person a few times. He's always out there taking videos of the shows, things like that. He's got uh, the, the, the Vital Vinyl blog. On YouTube, he's always showing off merch and stuff. And Instagram, you can find... Yeah, uh, just a good guy, man. Big shout to him. I don't mind plugs like that on the voicemails either. No. A tasteful plug like that? Yeah. If you want to plug something you got going on, uh, we will play it as long as you don't talk longer than the message. And then it just like, it, it like cuts you off while you're talking because yeah. you went on so long. Yeah, if you hit the uh, 2 minute and 58 second mark... I'm going to throw you in the garbage. Yeah, come on, come I'm on. Kind of come over and throw you in the garbage. And if you, and if Tom doesn't do that, I'm going to throw him in the garbage. Yeah, so right? I'm doing it. Yeah, listen. But no, yeah, big shout to Schnell. What was that, Dodds fad, that, that band he was recommending? Uh, Dodds, man, I'm so bad with these Norwegian names. Dodds Skavad. Okay. Skavard? I don't know. Okay. D-O-D-S-K-V-A-D. I admittedly have seen that around. I do keep up with Caligari Records and some of the uh, the tape labels that have been doing a lot of great work these last few years. So I will definitely check that out, Schnell. That SNET, uh, that's something that we actually talked about on this podcast. I'm not trying to flex, but I did bring it up about a year ago or so when it first came out. SNET, uh, S-N-E-T. I've seen it popping up. I think it's been... Uh, reissued or, or um, licensed uh, in vinyl in different formats. I know there was a tape out there. Um, some, some of my favorite uh, uh, labels have sold out of it, and I wasn't able to get it in time, but I did check it out on Bandcamp and um, uh, talk oh. about this a while. You remember I brought this in? I this do guy? remember. Yeah, I had to look it up to remember the cover. Sometimes I, you know, yeah. name association yeah. with the cover. But yeah, this was cool. I remember this. Blood real, Harvest. Real yeah. dirty, kind of weird, spacey, psychedelic, weird, you know, gore grindy, autopsy, death metal. We're cool shit, man. Snet, man. And of course, a cursed womb. Big shot to Snell. Like we said, maybe while he was a voicemail, plug your own band or plug a show that's coming up or anything, man. Like, you know, come on, man. Within reason, do it. You know, we might play it, man. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, big shout to Schnell. You could look for his Vital Vinyl blog. I think that's what it's called. Man, he's got his YouTube channel and all that stuff. Look for a cursed womb. Yeah, definitely check out that YouTube channel. I'm looking at it right now. What is it? Streaming Vital Vinyl vlog. Vlog. Okay, I knew I was Sorry. saying it wrong. Okay, yeah, he's showing off all sorts of death metal merch and talking death metal. Man, he's someone who's got a real passion for. It. We got to get him in here eventually too, man. Yeah, it's... go subscribe. That that's free. Yeah, like yeah. just go give them some followers. Yeah, YouTube man. channels. You got to support each other. You know, Ken's exactly. death metal crypt stuff like that. That's you know, need supporters to grow. Hundred percent, man. We got to get our YouTube game up too eventually, man. We've been talking behind the scenes. Don't worry. Uh, you can see more of our ugly mugs up there. My ugly mug. You're, you're nice, especially since the cosmetic surgery, Tom. Yeah, I'm very even looking now. <laughs> you know what's nice and even, too? Uh, our Patreon flow. We've got some new episodes up there, some outtakes. We're trying to work harder to bring you guys some of those behind-the-scenes things. We did fall off 
Uh, go to Patreon, look for Heavy Hole Podcast. Go to heavyholepodcast.com. We got all the links up there. We're on all the social media. Still working on getting that Christian Mingle link uh, up, but uh, we, we don't know who's going to take the, the take, take take it for the team on that one. Yeah, who's, who's going <laughs> to give their information on that <laughs> one? We don't know who's going to take your, uh, your, your weirdo divorced aunt out on a Friday night to Friendly's um, Buyer the Manhattan Clam Chowder, but somebody <laughs> will do it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because we love you so much. It's Heavy Hole Podcast, man. Um, so that was it, man. Big shout out to our guest, Brett Claren, this evening. Uh, shout out to Schnell for calling in, leaving a voicemail. We want more voicemails, more emails, more messages. We'll address your concerns yes. on the air. Mm-hmm. Calling you out, man. You're going to be famous mm-hmm. live. Yeah. But until that sweet day, man, uh, you know, just stay at home, listen to the Heavy Hole podcast, do your thing, collect death metal tapes just like Schnell did. And today he was nice enough to call us and tell us all about this special little one. 